Welcome to the NTEB Prophecy News Podcast with your host and Bible teacher, Jeffrey Greider. Rightly divided, dispensationally correct, and standing on the authority of the King James Holy Bible. This program is brought to you by NowTheEndBegins.com. And good afternoon, happy Monday everybody, and welcome to this edition of the Prophecy News Podcast. Today, here in year three of Obama's third term, the wheels are starting to come off the bus in major Biden malfunction. Over the weekend in Vietnam, President Joe Biden whispered, he walked about the stage, and he used that now famous phrase, lying dog-faced pony soldier, while taking questions Sunday night in Hanoi, Vietnam, from a set list of reporters. In what was supposed to be a show of stamina, Biden is circumnavigating the globe in five days. The 80-year-old commander-in-chief joked about not knowing if it was morning or night and ended the 26-minute event by saying, quote, I'm going to go to bed now, end quote. What is all that? Well, you're looking at year three of Barack Obama's third term. Nehemiah chapter four, verse 14 says, And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. On this episode of the Prophecy News Podcast, long-simmering questions about the how and why of just how did Joe Biden get elected in 2020 are finally starting to be answered. In Hanoi over the weekend, Joe Biden opened his mouth and revealed to a stunned audience the essential nothingness that inhabits his brain on a daily basis. He's old, out of gas, conflating memories, and saying some really, really weird things right up to the moment his own team literally turned him off and removed him from the stage. That's how bad things really are. Yet, All of this was planned. This is actually the Democrat response to Donald Trump holding Barack Obama's third term from the basement through the cipher that is Joe Biden. On this episode, we peel back the layers of this pretend presidency um, and take a look at the very real presidency of Barack Obama. And we revisit the stunning collapse of Building 7 here on the 22nd anniversary of 9-11. Very, very glad that you are here with us today. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, with our prayers and our praises. Uh, CJ's mom needs to get saved. Regina Danner is praying for Chris, Cisco, Kelly, Wayne, Richard, Sandra, and John to get saved. Shira Shine would like salvation prayer for Kevin, Michelle, and Lewis. Loretta Wozni requesting prayer for my family, my husband, and my children who are not saved. Rebecca Lynn is praying for Joel Smith. Rita in Colorado is continuing to pray for her son, Dan. Shirley says, please pray for Marie, Hallie, Patricia, Jaden, Richard, Patricia S., Joshua, Ruby, Gerald, Josiah, Monice, and my husband, Hamid, and his family to get saved. Karen is praying for children, Jason and Tiffany, and her husband, Jason, as well as grandchildren, Summer, Austin, and Emmett to get saved. 
Sarah needs to get saved and Eric needs to get saved. Uh, People who need a healing today. Uh, At the top of the list today, we have my friend Ethan. And uh, we've been praying for him for a number of months now. He has stage four bone and liver cancer. And he wound up in the emergency room in the ICU this weekend being intubated and having seizures. And uh, so we put him at the top of the list today um, for a healing. And um, I was able to share the gospel with him about a month ago. I don't know if he got saved or not, but please pray for uh, Ethan, for his wife, Shannon, and for their daughter, Laura. And uh, please pray that God will give him a miracle healing. Annetta needs prayer for a complete healing to be able to walk again after having a stroke. Marcia Swanson has myelagic encephalitis myelitis, which is a neuroimmune disease. George H. for health issues. James Rivette um, for recovering from addiction and mental health issues. Robert Wiley battling ALS disease. Um, Keith Grimm, Peggy Caulfield, and Kelly Hollowell all recovering from arm injuries. Jill Puckett uh, needs prayer because she's losing her vision. Paul Caulfield is battling type 1 sugar diabetes. Ron Alliston has cancer. Sharon Hansen, she's been going through some health challenges lately, and she very much appreciates our prayer. Uh, Gary's friend Carrick from PA has MS. Dina Kruger says, please continue to pray for my son, Jordan Shapiro, to get saved. Cindy Kettlecamp is glad that we continue to pray for her daughter, Brooke, who is on the autism spectrum. Krista is battling a massive tumor in her chest wrapped around five of her ribs. Dan Kane, please pray for my wife, Roxy, with MS and son, Jonathan. Marianne Ellie, please pray for my kids, John and Marie and Christine, to get saved, and my grandkids, Sophia, Jacob, David, and Katrina. Tracy and Ralph Wallace want prayer for son-in-law, Ethan, daughter, Shanna, and grandson, Caden, all salvation issues. Beth Peck is asking prayer for husband, David, and children, Heather and Damien, to get saved. Rob's friend, MS, um... Rob's friend Mike has MS, and he's back in the hospital with pneumonia. So please pray for Mike. Uh, Kathy Nath is um, battling melanoma of the liver and lungs. Ida Karulik is battling cancer. Mark Seals has numerous health issues. Roz, she says, please pray for my asthma and scoliosis. Kernessa Thiessen has Ongoing chemotherapy for cancer. Maddie Luck has Luli body dementia and her daughter Michelle suffers from neuropathy and fibromyalgia. Terry Ewing wants us to pray for her daughter Bryn to get saved. Teresa M. Her three sons, James Frank and Peter, need to get saved. Jose De La Rosa is asking prayer for his mother Alicia to get saved. Uh, Mike Hensel. Um, asking prayer for his mom to be healed. Tracy says, please pray for me. I have severe arthritis in my spine, diabetes type 2, and a fatty liver. Linda Pippin uh, is asking for prayer for a healing from fibromyalgia and neuropathy. Michelle Kristen has bone cancer. Kevin Thompson wants prayer for his dad, Tim, to get saved. 
Julie's grandma Wilma has a spot on her lung. Uh, Robert Heald, uh, Nathan Givens, and Rob Beattie are all recovering from surgery, and we're praying that they will all be healed um, fully and completely. Um, Keith is married to a Pakistani lady. They both claim to be atheists, and Deborah says, please pray for them to get saved. Angela Benton says, please pray for me for peace and strength with a spiritual battle that I'm going through. And last night, we started our new Bible study series on spiritual warfare. Um, Bonnie says, please pray for little Brody. He has a staph infection from a spider bite, and it's bad. Melissa B., please add my husband, Brian, to the prayer list with stage 3 kidney disease. Ricky Gouda needs prayer for her eyesight. Ladies who are expecting... My daughter, Megan Burton, Linda and Joe Lapiana's son and daughter-in-law, Terry Bryant's daughter, Jillian, Shira Shine's daughter-in-law, um, Cindy and Steve Britt's granddaughter, Taylor, Sandra C.'s daughter, Christina. In the Clark family, we have Christina and Stephanie, uh, due in October and February, respectively. Christy Ireland. Um, she says, my blood pressure is still high, but not as bad as it was. Please pray that I'm okay. Baby is due on April 12th. And Char's daughter, Miranda, is expecting, and her and her husband, this would be their second baby. Mark Saxa would like prayer for his son, Joseph, to return to the Lord. Aunt Nancy, Brandon, and Michelle need to get saved. Uh, we're praying for Leslie that the Lord will order and reorder an urgent financial situation. Jill from New Jersey. People are requesting prayer for her um, for emotional and spiritual healing and well-being. The Lord knows the need. Joni is asking prayer for Ashley, Clint, Ember, Knox, Lucas, Brian, Mary, and Dee to get saved. My son Calvin He's coming out to visit at the end of the week. Please keep Calvin in your prayer. Brenda says, my husband Mike is saved, but he's an alcoholic, and we are praying for Mike to get sober. And Brenda, if you're listening, if you could give us an update, that would be great. Shira Shine's son Scott needs to get saved. Jan Lacker has been hit with devastating news about a possible divorce, and we're praying for Jan, her husband, and their children. Chelsea and Brian Plagman would like salvation prayer for their son Bryce and his girlfriend Eva. Kathy Kelly would like prayer for her son Reagan, who's in the Navy Officers Program. Cassandra would like salvation prayer for her husband Todd and sons Nathan and Andrew. Her son Sonny is saved, but he needs to get back on track. Uh, the male lady at the bookstore, Zuzana has asked prayer for herself and her husband regarding their finances and their health. And to that, we will add, they both need to get saved. A lot of people come into that bookstore. And uh, that bookstore really, <laughs> it functions more like a church than it does like a bookstore. So much prayer happens there. So many prayer requests. So many people who uh, they're walking in to ship a package and they're not aware that the shipping center is inside a bookstore. And many times, tears are shed and, and, and people are prayed for and prayed over. And it's just 
really miraculous what God is doing with that part of our ministry at the bookstore. And uh, we're going to be talking about that in the next coming weeks. And uh, there, there is just so much happening at that bookstore. Um, and please keep that part of the ministry in your prayers. Rob says, um, prayer request from my dentist, Dr. Dan, who I witnessed to this morning, and his staff. Granny says, I listen all the time, but I rarely chat. My grandson needs very expensive medication, and the copay is $3,500 a month. Wow. And he needs three months of dosage. That's with health insurance also. I've been praying, but if you guys could pray for me, I would appreciate that very much. So please pray that God will provide granny with the ability to um, purchase the medicine that she, the very expensive medicine that she needs for her grandson. Deborah Mack says, salvation prayers for my brother Mike, his wife Kate, and daughter Carmetta, Keith's brother Keith, and family. Uh, Ron M. says, praise report. The unspoken prayer requests for my daughter have been answered. Amen, brother. Thank you all for your prayers, everybody. Annabelle says, I am a little better. They think I have sciatica nerve pain and I need an MRI. Please continue to pray for me. Amen. LaMonica says, my eye is healing fine. I have made both services yesterday since my surgery two weeks ago. Praise God. I think LaMonica might be Rob Beatty. Um, not sure. Berta Crab says, please pray for the financial means to have cataract surgery. Bobbin777 says, unspoken prayer request, please, and thank you. Uh, Jay Hood, uh, prayers for a safe trip for Shar on Friday to a ladies' retreat in Medford. And then Anna Ball said, I visited the ER last night with sciatica nerve pain. Please pray that I can get this under control. Jarvis says, I have good news. My mom, who had lung cancer, after family prayer, praise report, her cancer is gone. Amen. Amen. And that's why we have a prayer list. That's why we pray for people. Um, but please keep Ethan at the top of your prayer list. Um, I have not heard back from his wife yet how he's doing, but it was really kind of touch and go all weekend long. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for um, this place and this time and this ministry. We thank you, Lord, that you give us a, a place to assemble and to congregate. And uh, Lord, yes, we have a podcast to do when we're going to talk about some crazy stuff. But Lord, we got to lift everything up in prayer before you and ask you to work and move. And Lord, hear our prayers, accept our praise, and and do for us that which we cannot do for ourselves, Lord. If you don't give it to us, we're not going to have it. And if you don't do it, it's not going to get done. We, we confess our complete and utter dependence on you. And it's in Jesus' name that we commit all of this to you today. Amen. Amen and amen. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Glad to see the chat room filling up and people logging on across America and around the world. Um, people listen to this podcast in about 142 different countries, and we're very glad and grateful for 
the uh, for that type of platform. Today, we are talking about the third term of Barack Obama. Now, how is that possible? I thought Joe Biden was president. Well, if you think that the 2020 election was not the wildest, craziest, most unbelievable sleight of hand chicanery and trickery that you've ever seen, well, I don't know what to tell you. Now, the 2020 election, in my opinion, really was a watershed moment from the perspective of the boldness of the New World Order. And that election was absolutely stolen and given to Joe Biden. There is no question about it. Now, the only question that you might want to have a discussion about is what were the means by which it was stolen? Now, that is an interesting conversation. But when you look at the events of 2020 and the horrific aftermath and everything that they've been doing and giving, I mean, they have been giving jail sentences to some of the people from January 6th longer than people who have actually gone out and murdered other people. Last week, the guy's name was Enrico something, and uh, they gave him a 22-year prison term for his participation in January 6th, and he wasn't even there. And so when you look at all these crazy things, what does that tell you? It tells you um, that none of this is real, and all of this is theater. Back in uh, 2020, on September 16th, we published an article called Operation Overthrow. George Soros funded the Transition Integrity Project um, and has a plan in place to remove Donald Trump from office, whether he wins or not. The Transition Integrity Project group is funded by George Soros for the Democrats, and they used a role-playing game similar to a military-style planning exercise and concluded that there will be a very disruptive and lawless 11 weeks between the Election Day and Inauguration Day. So, even before the election took place, the Democrats with their hundreds of millions of dollars, were already putting plans in place so that no matter what happened, Donald Trump was not going to be the president. Now, here we are three and a half years, well, not three and a half years, um, uh, three years later. It's September of 2023. Here we are three years later, and you look at the presidency of Joe Biden. And he is a man that half the time isn't even there. He does this very weird whispering thing. He has uncontrolled fits of anger and fits of rage. Uh, they built him a soundstage in the White House so he doesn't have to go to the Oval Office. 
Now, why would they do that? Well, based on my six and a half years in uh, Hollywood and working on very large, expensive movies and TV shows, the reason why they constructed him a fake White House soundstage is they need to be able to control everything that comes out of his mouth. And when you don't control what comes out of his mouth, well, what happens is what happened this past weekend in Vietnam. And in just a couple of minutes, we're going to play a couple of clips from the absolute unbridled insanity of the Joe Biden presidency. Um, So let's start with this clip today from Sky News in Australia. Joe Biden's first term is really the third term of Barack Obama, and we agree. Take a listen. Uh, What we're seeing here is not the first term of Joe Biden. It's the third term of Barack Obama. And we have to be very Mm. clear about that. So Barack Obama achieved a lot of things which frightened a lot of Americans. One of them that frightened them the most and which was uh, opposed by up to seven, almost three quarters of Americans opposed the Iran nuclear deal. But Barack Obama saw it as his signature and Joe Biden has said that he will set about, he's already, his team are renegotiating that. So... Uh, what we saw at the, with the Abraham Accords was obviously an attempt by countries in the region to say, no, we see Iran as the threat. Do not unlock $100 billion for Iran to turbocharge the destabilization and terror in the Middle East and beyond. But unfortunately... Let me just stop that clip right there for a moment, just so that you know what you're listening to. This clip is from 2022, and what they're talking about is the fact that when Barack Obama was president back in 2015, he signed the disastrous Iranian nuclear pact. And when Donald Trump became president, one of the very first things that Trump did is he he took the United States out from that really bad document. And so when Joe Biden became president in 2020, one of the first things that Joe Biden did is he began to go back to the terror nation of Iran and begin to renegotiate that contract. That's what Barack Obama did. And as I wrote in the Spectator Spectator Australia this week, Joe Biden is a puppet on a string. He's not a president. He is the marionette and his masters are... Barack Obama and the radical left who. All right, I'll stop her right there. You you just heard her say that Joe Biden is a puppet on the string. And that is a really, really good way to describe the what I call the Trojan horse presidency of Joe Biden. And Barack Obama is the one who is behind the scenes in the dark and shadowy places, listening on the headset, and then issuing the orders that he thinks should be done. And it's being done through the cover of Joe Biden. Why else would you pick somebody 
who is obviously mentally incapable of being the president of the United States. And I don't say that in any sort of a derogatory term. There's somebody in my family that has dementia. And every time that I spend time with that person, it is crystal clear what that disease looks like. And when I listen to Joe Biden talking, when I look at the his body movements and the weird whispering and the, the, the fits of anger, if you have anybody in your family with Alzheimer's or dementia, you've seen those things happen time and time again. And that's what you're seeing when you look at Joe Biden. But that is precisely why the Democrats and the New World Order put him into office. They needed somebody with a blank slate, somebody who wouldn't fight back, wouldn't talk back, somebody who would do whatever they told him to do. And that's exactly what has been happening for the last three years in Barack Obama's third term through his surrogate and proxy, Joe Biden. want to seize this opportunity to remake America according to their... How, how long, Rebecca, do you think the puppet will serve its purposes before he's discarded and Kamala is put in? Well, um, let's see how it goes. But when, when Joe Biden was asked in December, what happens if you and the vice president have a disagreement, he said, well, I'll probably get some sort of an illness and just have to resign. (laughs) Gideon, um, Trump has promised to return. He's promised to return. All right, so we'll stop that clip right there. That was Sky News from about a year and a half ago talking about how Joe Biden's first term is really the third term of Barack Obama, and I think we all understand that. Now, I want you to listen to this clip. This is a clip of Barack Obama after Donald Trump became president. He's giving an interview on the Stephen Colbert show, and Colbert was asking him about a possible third term. And in a very candid moment, Barack Obama told you exactly if he was to have a third term, how he would do it. I want you to take a listen to Barack Obama reveals how he would conduct his third term as president. I've said this before. uh, People would ask me, Knowing what you know now, do you wish like you had a, sec- a, a third term? Um, and I, I used to say, you know what, if, if I could make an arrangement where um, I had, a, I had a, a stand-in, a front man or front woman, and, and they had an earpiece in, and I was just in my basement in my sweats mm-hmm. looking through the stuff, and then I could sort of deliver the lines, but somebody else was... Uh, doing all the talking and ceremony, wow. I, I'd be fine with that because I found the work fascinating. Um, I mean, I write about the the, the uh, even in, in my on my worst days, I found puzzling out you know these big, complicated, difficult issues, especially if you were working with some great people, to be uh, uh, professionally really satisfying. 
So there you have uh, Barack Obama telling you that if he was going to have a third term, he'd be down in the basement with a headset and a microphone, and he would be giving the instructions to the man or the woman who was pretending to be the president. And ironically, if you remember when Joe Biden was pretending to campaign, he conducted most of his campaign moments from his basement because he was terrified of catching COVID. And everybody mocked him for being the basement candidate and all these different things. But then, but then, I want to direct your attention to a moment that took place about two months before the election happened. If you remember at the start of Joe Biden's campaign to be president, his campaign slogan was no malarkey. And it was supposed to mean it's a, it's a, it's an archaic term from the 1920s and 1930s, uh, malarkey being a word for nonsense. And Joe Biden's campaign slogan was there was going to be no nonsense, no malarkey. And everybody kind of laughed at him and it was a really stupid campaign slogan. But then, Without any word of explanation, his campaign slogan was changed from no malarkey to build back better. Now, it's been three and a half, four years since that campaign was going on. I have never seen, never, I have never seen a build back better bumper sticker. I've never seen a build back better t-shirt, coffee mug a hat, a billboard. I have never seen any Build Back Better merchandise anywhere outside of looking at it on the internet. Now, where did Joe Biden's odd-sounding campaign slogan come from? Well, I just posted a link into the chat room, but if you're not in the chat room, just go to nowtheendbegins.com and do a search on Build Back Better. And this article will pop right up for you. Joe Biden inexplicably changed his campaign slogan from no malarkey to build back better. So back in 2020, when this was happening, I researched it. And what I found was that build back better was actually a slogan, not from anybody's campaign, But Build Back Better comes from the World Economic Forum and it's related to the Great Reset and the Fourth Industrial Revolution. That's where the expression Build Back Better comes from. And all the countries of the world that are on board with the Great Reset, like New Zealand, Australia, the UK, America, Canada... All these nations use Build Back Better and have been using Build Back Better for about the past five years or so. So right before Joe Biden pulls off the miracle win he um, 
he switched his campaign slogan to Build Back Better. And of course, that was a predictive programming signal that he was being 100% controlled by the New World Order. Now, let's get to what happened in Vietnam yesterday. Everybody is talking about it. It is so bad that even the left-leaning Drudge Report, which used to be a fairly conservative website, but um, about four years ago, I don't know why Drudge made the switch, but he became very pro-Democrat about four years ago. But if you look at the front page of the Drudge Report right now, I mean, it's uh, he is taking shot after shot after shot at Joe Biden, mumbling in Hanoi, the president's strange behavior, pressed conference crazy. That's what's going on. Uh, the Daily Mail has an article where they say this. Um, Joe Biden calls climate deniers lying dog face pony soldiers and talks about Indians and John Wayne at a very bizarre press conference with whispers walking around and jokes about softball questions from an approved list of reporters. Now, I want you to hear for yourself some of these clips. The first one is called Following Orders, and I'll let you listen to it. It's very short. It's only 30 seconds long. But take a listen to this clip called Following Orders, and then we'll talk about it. And uh, let's see. I'll just follow my orders here. Uh, staff, has anybody haven't spoken? Uh, I ain't calling on you. I'm calling on you. I said they have five questions. So there you have Joe Biden, and he's looking at the paper that is on the podium in front of him, and he's struggling. You you hear all this silence in that clip, and Joe Biden is looking at the papers, and he doesn't know what he's looking at, and he's trying to find the list of the pre-approved five reporters with their question, and he can't find it. But it's very, very telling that he says, I am just trying to follow my orders. Now, doesn't matter whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, an independent, whatever you are. When can you ever remember any president of the United States talk about following orders that somebody else had given him? That is absolutely insane. And so what was he looking for? He was looking for the script and he couldn't find it. And he starts mumbling and babbling and talking about following orders. Well, it got worse. Take a listen to this. My brother loves having those famous lines from movies that he always quotes. You know, and one of them is there's a movie about John Wayne. He's an Indian scout. And they're trying to get the, I think it was the Apache, one of the 
great tribes of America back on the reservation. And he's standing with the Union, so he's, they're all on their, and they're on their horses and their saddles. And there's three or four Indians in headdresses and the Union soldiers. And the Union soldiers basically saying, the Indians, come with me, we'll take care of you, we'll be, everything will be good. And the and What on earth is this man saying? Now, you have to remember, he is speaking in Vietnam in the capital city of Hanoi, and he's representing the United States of America. And what is he talking about? He's talking about a John Wayne movie. Indian scout, the Indian looks at John Wayne and points to the Union soldier and says, he's a lion dog-faced pony soldier. Well, there's a lot of lion dog-faced pony soldiers out there about, about global warming, but not anymore. All of a sudden, they all realize it. it's a problem. And there's nothing like seeing the light. How crazy is that? He's whispering, he's quoting John Wayne movies, he's talking about climate change. If you watch the the, uh, video, the people are looking at him like he's a visitor from another planet. Really? Really? That's just terrible, isn't it? But have a look at his next bit. He seems to say the quiet bit out loud. The president actually tells us what he'd rather be doing. If you don't have a game plan, he may have a game plan. He just hasn't shared it with me. But I tell you what, I don't know about you, but I'm going to go to bed. Okay, so that's pretty amusing, isn't it? Old Joe always wants to get off to bed. But think about the more serious side of this. What this is doing to America's diplomacy, for instance. Listen to this next answer. The president was asked about his talks with the Chinese premier earlier that day. And in his answer, Joe Biden seems to check himself for using the term third world. Then he can't think of a more appropriate term. Then he tries the phrase southern hemisphere. Remember, he's reflecting on talks in India with China and he's speaking in Vietnam. And he's on about the southern hemisphere. But then listen to his own press secretary calling an end to the media conference. We talked about stability. We talked about making sure that the third world, the, uh, excuse me, third world, the, uh, the, the, uh, the southern hemisphere had access to change. It had access. We, it wasn't confrontational at all. You came up thank, thank you, everybody. This ends thank, the count press thank conference. You. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Did you hear what just happened? The President of the United States was just told when to stop speaking by his own staff that turned off his microphone and that music that you heard was the actual exit music telling Joe Biden to walk away. I think you can hear it longer in this clip. We talked about we talked about at the conference overall. We talked about stability. We talked about making sure that the third world, the uh, excuse me, third world, the uh, the the, uh, the southern hemisphere had access to change. It had access. We, it wasn't confrontational at all. You came up with thank, thank you, everybody. This ends thank, the count press thank, conference. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.
with every person I've met with. And there you have how the President of the United States conducted a 26-minute press conference in the country of Vietnam and how badly that it went and what it shows you. And again, we're not making fun of Joe Biden. We're not here to mock him for his illness and we are not here to mock him for... um, you know, the obvious mental incapacitation that he has. There is nothing funny about that. But this is why Joe Biden has been selected to be president of the United States. And when Barack Obama said in that clip that I played just a few minutes ago, that if he was going to have a third term, well, what he would want to do He would want to be in the basement with a headset and a microphone. And he would like to talk into the electronic equipment and tell the pretend president what to do. And I think that's exactly what we're looking at. And uh, obviously, Joe Biden cannot be reelected for a second term. Um, He is still over a year away, almost a year and a half. I would say that between now and Inauguration Day in 2025, is that going to be 2025? Because the election is November of 24, and then January of 25. So that's almost a year and a half from now. And there's no way, absolutely no way that Joe Biden is going to be in any type of shape to run for president. The only question is, who are they going to put in his place? Um, Lola W. says, my conspiracy theory is that Kamala will become president, then appoint Hillary as vice president. Then Kamala has to resign and Hillary is president. And um, at this point, at this point, um, Anything is possible. And that's why the 2020 election was such a seminal moment in American history, because that was the year that the New World Order, I mean, they they really, really made a very, very bold move. And they did it openly, and um, it cost them hundreds of millions of dollars to rig that election and to pull those things off and to pull the strings and to change local voting laws and all sorts of things like that. But all of that gets back to this. Take a listen to David Rockefeller's speech about the secret Bilderberg meetings that the mainstream media covered up for. One closed-door meeting of fellow internationalists, billionaire and former CFR chairman David Rockefeller praised his media allies, but his confidence that his words would not leave the room was later broken. We are grateful to the Washington Post, the New York Times, 
Time Magazine and other publications whose directors have attended our meetings and restricted their policies of discretion for almost 40 years. It would have been impossible for us to develop our plan for the world if we had been subject to the right lines of publicity. But the world is now more sophisticated and prepared to march toward a world government. It reveals that these men aim to create a world system of financial control in private hands, able to dominate the political system of each country and the economy of the world as a whole. In short, they seek total and quiet control of the entire world. And the CFR is their most visible conduit for carrying out that agenda. This is an historic moment. We have in this past year made great progress in ending the long era of conflict and Cold War. We have before us the opportunity to forge for ourselves and for future generations a new world order, a world where the rule of law, not the law of the jungle, governs the conduct of nations. When we are successful, and we will be, we have a real chance at this new world order, an order in which a credible United Nations can use its peacekeeping role to fulfill the promise and vision of the UN's founders. And that brings us very nicely and very smoothly to our next topic to discuss today. Today is September 11th of 2023, and today is the 22nd anniversary of... 9-11. And on that day, 2,997 souls died in the attack on the World Trade Center. You compare that to Pearl Harbor, December 7th of 1941, and most people are shocked that 2,403 people died in Pearl Harbor and almost 500 more people died in 9-11. And today is the 22nd anniversary of the events that took place on that day. So one of the questions that we're going to ask today, did George Bush have any advanced knowledge of the attacks. That's a question that we're going to ask today. Um, so uh, it's a rhetorical question because we've written about this many, many times. But um, take a listen to this clip. Did George W. Bush have advanced knowledge of 9-11? The French filmmakers, the Naudet brothers, were in New York City doing a documentary about the New York City firefighters. And this clip is the only known footage of the first plane hitting the first tower. Now this video clip that we've just examined came again from the Naudet Brothers documentary that was being filmed in the streets of New York City on the morning of September 11th. This documentary about the New York City firefighters was going to be assembled at a later date and it was not televised. In fact, there was no live coverage at all of Flight 11 
as it hit the North Tower. After all, it was a surprise attack. So if there was no live television coverage of the first plane hitting the first tower, how do we explain the following comment from George Walker Bush? What was the first thing that went through your head when you heard that a plane crashed into the first? Well, I was sitting in a, a schoolhouse in Florida. I'd gone down to tell my little brother what to do, and uh, <laughs> you go ahead and sit down. Just kidding, Jeb. And uh, it's the mother in me. Anyway, uh, I uh, was sitting there, and my chief of staff. Well, first of all, when we walked in the classroom. Uh, I had seen this uh, plane fly into the first building. There was a TV set on, and, and uh, you know, I thought it was pilot error. Uh, I had seen this uh, plane fly into the first building. There was a TV set on, and, and uh, you know, I thought it was pilot error. I had seen this uh, plane fly into the first building. There was a TV set on. I had seen this plane fly into the first building. There was a I had seen this uh, plane fly into the first building. There was a TV set on. There was no live coverage at all of Flight 11 as it hit the North Tower. Uh, I had seen this uh, plane fly into the first building. There was a TV set on. There was no live coverage at all of Flight 11 as it hit the North Tower. whether you had advanced knowledge of 9-11. Do you agree or disagree with the RNC that this kind of rhetoric borders on political hate speech? Yeah. Uh, there's time for politics. And, uh, you know, it's time for politics. And uh, I... Uh, it's an absurd insinuation. Let us never tolerate outrageous conspiracy theories concerning the attacks of September the 11th. Malicious lies that attempt to shift the blame away from the terrorists themselves. Away from the guilty. Away from the guilty. Away from the guilty. 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 So there you have the testimony of George Bush himself. He just told you that he was sitting there in that classroom and he was looking at the TV set that just happened to be in a classroom. You know, I used to be a school teacher and I spent a lot of time going to school as a student. I've never seen television sets with live broadcasts in any classroom that I ever attended as a student or worked in as a teacher. I mean, Maybe they have them, but I've never seen them. Anyway, George Bush just happened to be sitting there, and he says his own testimony that he watched the plane fly into the first tower. And you heard that the destruction of the first tower was not broadcast because it was a surprise attack. So, it is categorically impossible for George W. Bush to have watched the attack on Tower 1 because it just could not have taken place because it was not broadcast live. Now, 
Let's talk for a few moments about what George Bush was doing in that classroom. And we've all seen the videos, George Bush just sitting there helplessly, and the school teacher is doing a um, responsive reading exercise with her classroom, and the name of the book was called My Pet Goat. And it was an object lesson in reading. The teacher had them to recite a series of words from the book. Now, do you know what the words were that this school teacher just happened to be having her entire classroom reciting while George Bush, as the President of the United States, was sitting there while the World Trade Centers were coming down. It was a book called My Pet Goat, and Jericho just beat me to it. The five words, kite, hit, steal, plane, must. Kite, hit, steal, plane, must. Let's take a trip to that classroom on September 11th of 2001, And let's listen in to the lesson that was being taught while the towers were burning. Get ready to read all these words on this page without making a mistake. Look at the letter at the end and remember the sound it makes. Get ready. Kite. Yes, kite. Get ready to read this word the fast way. Get ready. Kid. Yes, kid. Sound it out. Get ready. Sound it out. Get ready. What word? Yes, kit. Boys and girls, sound this word out. Get ready. What word? Yes, steal. Read these words the fast way. Get ready. Yes, plain. Get ready. Must. Yes, must. Let's read these words the fast way without making a mistake. Get ready. Kite. Yes, kite. Get ready. Kit. Yes, kit. Get ready. Steal. Yes, steal. Get ready. Plain. Yes, plain. Get ready. Must. Yes, must. Go to your speaker reader up from under your seat. Open your book up to lesson 60 on page 153. So that's what the scene was in that classroom while Tower 1 was in flames and burning and preparing itself to come down. Kite hit steel plane must. Now, if you were a gambling person, and I don't recommend gambling, but if you were a gambling person, what do you think would be the legitimate odds if you had to put actual money down on a bet that said, while these crazy things are going on, George Bush is just spontaneously finding himself in the middle of a classroom where the teacher is having the students chant, kite, hit, steal, plane, must. If you had to gamble actual money on that, how much would you be willing to bet? 50 cents? A dollar? (laughs) Um, You wouldn't bet anything that you wouldn't want to lose because the chances of that happening are so microscopically small. 
So let's take a listen to somebody who has what I feel is the best explanation as to what brought those towers down. Dr. Judy Wood, she said it was, she said that she had no idea why those towers were brought down. But when she looks at it, she feels that the results of what happened on that day 22 years ago could only have been caused by a directed energy weapon. And in this clip, Dr. Judy is talking about how every single building that had the prefix WTC, which stood for World Trade Center, every single WTC building came down. Did you know that? Now, you know that the Twin Towers came down. We all know that. And we all know that Building 7 came down. We all know that. But if there was a Building 7, well, then there was a Building 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. Did you know that every single WTC building on that day 22 years ago all spontaneously came down? Every single one of them? I bet you didn't know that. Take a listen to Dr. Judy Wood. All right, you go to work on a nice September morning. There's, there's Tower 1, there's Tower 2, and you work down here in Banker's Trust. So you're going to go into your office there in Banker's Trust, and then you're going to look out the window and see what you can see. Down here, you look out the window. What's it going to look like? That's looking out that window. Air-conditioned office, looking across the street, and whoops, where did the building go? This is right after 9-11. Tower 2 is basically missing. Tower 1 is missing over there. There's just, I think everyone would have to agree there's not enough stuff left on the, piled up on the ground. So again, it's, we're looking out there. Now we're going to look the other direction. And there's this main body goes missing. Just the north wing is left. The building just went missing. That's building 4. It was a nine-story building. So this is what was there beforehand, and it just basically all went away. And a satellite image shows all sorts of holes that were in those buildings. The middle part of building six is gone. It looks like a post hole digger corded out. You have holes over here in Liberty Street. Even some holes in Vesey Street. And notice again that North Wing is remaining, but the main body's gone. And this is Banker's Trust, where you're looking out the window, seeing a non-building across the street. Few people talk about this building. It's a 22-story skyscraper. Well, it would be the tallest building in most small towns. It went away except for that last little corner. And Building 7 over here as well. Every building with the WTC prefix was destroyed that day. So we're going to look at this Direction. Now, a lot of people talk about hearing uh, the BBC announce early that Building 7 went away. Well, they, CNN did the same thing for one Liberty Plaza, but it's still there. They just get excited and want to be the first to report. And we're going to go down and look on the ground and see what it looks like down in here. Looking at the front door of Tower 1. So here we are down on the ground. There's Tower 1, the north and south walls. 
ambulance that was parked in front of the front door of Tower One. It doesn't look clobbered by anything. This picture, I believe, was taken on 9-11, later in the day. I don't see any big steel beams on the ground. There's aluminum cladding. The towers were built with steel columns on the outside that were covered with aluminum cladding. And you see the aluminum cladding. Dr. Judy is asking a great question. She says, what happened to all the steel beams? There should have been 204 stories worth of steel beams. Those steel beams should have been stacked up 45 stories high. And yet, what you're about to hear in this clip, you're going to hear the the flabbergasted TV reporter George Stepanopoulos scratching his head and unable to intelligently explain why there is so little rubble after the two tallest skyscrapers in the world spontaneously collapsed. The ambulance looks pretty good. This was the day after 9-11. Peter Jennings in the studio. Stephanopoulos is uh, down in lower Manhattan today. George, I don't know if you heard a little earlier uh, me raise this question, which was asked, actually raised by ABC's Jackie Judd as we look at these areas down below and the video of where the towers used to stand and where is all the rubble gone. And have you, have you been able to, and is there any way you can answer that question? I'm sorry, Peter, I didn't get the question. Okay, I apologize. Jackie Judd and several other people keep asking us, when you look at where the towers used to stand, there is surprisingly so little rubble. Where did all the rubble well, go? It's a very good question, Peter, and I have asked some people who've been doing some of the rescue and recovery work this morning. If you look behind me, you can see the very remains, the skeletal remains of the World Trade Center. And one volunteer, Robert Gerlinski, explained to me the reason there's so little rubble is that all of it simply fell down into the ground and was pulverized. George Stephanopoulos just said 204 stories worth of steel beams just fell into the ground and was pulverized. Does that sound right to you? Do steel beams spontaneously disappear because they get crushed? What type of person would ever think that? Well, you were told what to think on that day. You were told what happened that day. But none of those things that you were told took place. It was all something completely different. This is vital information. I really feel for for George Stephanopoulos. He's got this job telling the world what's going on there, and that's the best he could do. And we humans tend to keep asking questions until we're given an answer. We don't stop to think if the answer makes sense. So he, what he has, is telling us is that it's obvious there's a big lack of material there. And here's an elevation map of what was left. And you see building four went missing, the holes in building six. Here's a firefighter in stairwell B. I heard this very, very loud noise above me. Uh, it was just a tremendous roar. Right down here while and, that picture was uh, taken. It was above, and uh, it sounded like it was coming towards towards you. And uh, 
And then the wind, a very, very fierce wind in my, my, my helmet. It started lifting me up off the ground. And so that's when I crouched down. All I, the next thing I I just crouched down. I got to the corner of the staircase by the railing. And I just got as small as I could possibly get. You know, I just, because I'm not a big guy to begin with. So fortunately, I'm not. Uh, so I got in a, and I literally, well, I guess the best way to describe it, I tried to crawl into my fire helmet. I, that's, that's what I wanted to do, just to protect myself. And uh, I wasn't sure what was going on. I thought the building might be coming down. And I figured, uh, okay, this could be it, you know. I mean, uh, and I was a little angry. I, I got, uh, I just, you know, it was like, damn it, like, why me? Why, you know, I'm beautiful. I'm going to die in the World Trade Center on a beautiful summer morning. I just, it's like a little denial and disbelief sets in. And, uh, Nah. So then I started getting hit with stuff. You know, it was just debris was hitting me, and uh, I got, it went dark. And then the next thing was just total silence. Nothing. No wind, no noise, no light, nothing. And then I started hearing noises. I started hearing, like, moaning, and guys were starting to communicate, yell out. These were the guys I was trapped with. Uh, they're calling out, who's there, you guys are right, blah, 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 and this kind of thing. And I realized I was other people, I wasn't alone, you know. Because you, when you're alone in a situation like that, they talk, it's like existential isolation. It's like, <laughs> and then when you find out you're with other people, it, 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 it makes you feel a lot better. Even though you know you're in a very bad situation, at least there's other people. But then the strangest thing happened, this beam of sunlight came right in on us, like about eight inches long, but it was clearly sunlight. It was all dirty, full of uh, debris, and it, was like, it looked like pepper was floating around in it, sort of. But it was sunlight, and I'm like, I'm like amazed now. <laughs> it's a 110-story building above us, and I'm looking up at the sun. <laughs> he was right at the base of this But building. when you came out, you had no idea where you were. There was no way to tell north, south, east, west, it was just the whole, the whole, all the, uh, all the, the whole atmosphere was full of debris and papers and smoke and, and there was no landmarks. There was no way to make a reference point. There was no, you couldn't see the sun anymore. The sun had gone away because the, the sunlight that had come in, that was gone. And uh, so there was no way to tell which way you were going. He was at the base of this building while this picture was being taken. And all 14 of them walked out on their own steam. Here again is where they were. Jay Jonas was one of the ones with him. And said, I looked and said, guys, there used to be 106 floors above us, and now I'm seeing sunshine. There's nothing above us. That big building doesn't exist. Then later said, these are the biggest buildings in the world, and I didn't see one desk, one chair, one phone, nothing. Another survivor described walking out onto an empty football field. This is from the base here. This is what was there that went away. And that's where another 14 folks survived, in that little stub at the end of that first building I showed. And they had that hole in Building 6, where 50% approximately of Building 6 was missing, and the main body of Building 4 went missing. So Dr. Judy Wood asks really good questions. She says, where did the towers go? Where did Building 4 go? Where did Building 6 go? Where did Building 7 go? Why did every building that had a WTC, World Trade Center, prefix attached to it, why did every single one of those buildings in some way collapse, burn down, blow up, 
and disappear. That is not the work of two airplanes hitting in to the side of the buildings, especially when you consider that both of those towers were built to withstand simultaneous um, impact from, at the time, 1970, a full-sized DC-10 airplane. Those towers were built specifically to withstand airplane impact. But the biggest question that nobody seems to be able to answer outside of Dr. Judy Wood is where did the towers go? Because if you want to make the case that Muslim terrorists smashed into the side of each of those two towers and that caused a pancaking, which it wouldn't, but let's just say that it did, that the impact from those planes caused Tower 1 and Tower 2 to pancake and collapse all the way down to the ground. Well, okay, but then show me the rubble. Show me the unbelievable amount of twisted steel beams. Show me thousands of desks, thousands and tens of thousands of telephones. Show me thousands of refrigerators and copy machines and everything else that you would see that would make up the inside and the outside of the two tallest buildings at the time anywhere on the face of the earth. Maybe you can somehow make me believe that those two towers came down because they were hit by airplanes. But you're never going to make me believe that steel beams would spontaneously disappear as they fell down to the ground. So, where did they go? Where did they go? Well, Dr. Judy Wood says that this is exactly what you would expect to see if all those buildings were hit by a directed energy weapon. Have you ever put a bag of, of uh, Orville Redenbacher popcorn into the microwave? My kids love to eat microwave popcorn. And uh, when they were young, we would have boxes and boxes and boxes of Orville Redenbacher um, uh, movie theater butter popcorn. And what was the other one? Kettle corn. They would love kettle corn. And I would always like to watch the process when you put this flat brown bag into the microwave and then you hit the popcorn setting. And in about 90 seconds later, that bag begins to shake and move and it expands and it's filled with popcorn kernels. I don't know about you, but I never get tired of watching a popcorn bag in the microwave oven. Now, how does a directed energy weapon work? It works just like that. The directed energy beams uh, begins to heat up the molecules of whatever this weapon is um, trained on. And when it reaches the proper point, just like that bag of popcorn that begins to explode in your microwave, 
If you were to take a large enough directed energy weapon, say beam down from an airplane or a satellite or a B-52 bomber or wherever you had it stationed from, if you were to train a directed energy weapon on on Tower 1 and Tower 2, well, what would happen is the concrete and the steel and everything inside that building would begin to disintegrate because that's what a directed energy weapon does. It moves the molecules and the molecules begin to separate. And so, if you had a building like Tower 1 and Tower 2 and you had it you had two airplanes crash into the outside of it and then you had depth charges that were put on the different floors and then you trained a directed energy weapon on the whole thing, well, what you might expect to see is as the buildings begin to fall, the rubble begins to disappear because the molecules are disintegrating. So, steel beams don't disappear when they hit the ground. You know what steel beams would do when they actually hit the ground? The first couple of them would get a little flat. But then very, very quickly, the steel beams would just pile on top of each other. And what you should have had is you should have had... uh, Now, let's find out exactly how high those buildings were. The one guy said 110 Judy Wood said 106. I said 102. Um, How many floors in the World Trade Center? Um, There was 110 floors in each of the two buildings. So that means you should have had the rubble from 220 stories worth of skyscraper. That's not what you had. In fact, you had so little rubble that people were shocked as to what they were actually looking at. All right, one more clip to round out our look at 9-11 today. Take a listen to the BBC announcing the collapse of World Trade Center Building 7 23 minutes before it actually happened. We've got some news just coming in, actually, that the Salomon Brothers building in New York, right in the, uh, the heart of Manhattan, has also collapsed. Uh, one assumes that the, the building would have been virtually uh, deserted. Whether this latest collapse is going to influence the president, who uh, we heard about a few moments ago, was expected to be uh, heading from Nebraska back to Washington, uh, we don't know. The 47-story Salomon Brothers building, situated very close to the World Trade Center, has also just collapsed. Now, more on the latest building collapse in New York. You might have heard a few moments ago, I was talking about the Salomon Brothers building collapsing. And indeed it has. Apparently that's only a few hundred yards away from where the World Trade Center towers were. And it seems that this was not a result of a new attack. It was because the uh, building had been weakened uh, during uh, this morning's attacks. 
As you can see behind me, the uh, Trade Center appears to be still burning. We see these huge clouds of smoke and ash. And we know that behind that, there's an empty piece of what was a very familiar New York skyline, a symbol of the financial prosperity of this city. It's now, what, some eight hours since the attacks. Is there any estimate yet available of the number of casualties in the World Trade Center? When you talk to people on, on they don't even say how many people might have been killed and injured. And I think that feeling, until idea of the of the devastation people don't really know what to say or what to think I think they feel the bubble of their security as being in America has definitely been popped this city and this country will not be the same but they don't really know where to turn uh, that's the very sad thing I think there's going to be a lot of very very traumatized people that, that has hit them very very hard Jane I think many of us when we heard the news perhaps on the radio earlier today were uh, completely flabbergasted by it and, and just couldn't un comprehend it. I mean, it, was, it almost sounded too far-fetched. Um, I was wondering what it's felt like for you being in Manhattan. Well, unfortunately, I think we've lost the line with uh, Jane Stanley. Again, this occurred just in the last several moments around the Trade Center building. Building number seven, 47 stories. So there you have um, clips from the BBC broadcast on September 11th of 2001. And just to make sure that I was giving you an accurate, an accurate clip, I fact-checked that clip, and this is what I found. The error in BBC reporting does not mean that 9-11 was scripted. And this website called fullfact.org says that the BBC actually reported 23 minutes before Building 7 actually fell down. They reported multiple times that Building 7 had collapsed when Building 7 had not collapsed. How could that be? Why would you r run something that you couldn't verify? And yet, there were multiple reports that day of Building 7 coming down. Uh, CNN did it. MSNBC, I think, did it. The BBC did it. And I just played that clip for you. 23 minutes of them saying Building 7 has come down and then... Building 7 came down. And I wrestled for a long time how to wrap my head around 9-11. And like everybody else, I was initially fooled by um, the 19 Muslim terrorists and all that stuff. Now, I'm not saying that the airplanes didn't hit the building. I don't go that far. I'm not saying that those 19 Muslim terrorists did not do what they did. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that there is no way on God's green earth that 220 stories of steel and metal and brick and all those 
offices and sinks and pipes and 220 stories worth of stuff would disappear when it hit the ground. That's not possible. And anybody who thinks that's possible, you're just not thinking correctly. So I did fact check that that clip and the BBC actually did for 23 minutes talk about the falling Building 7 23 minutes before it actually fell down. Um, I hope today's podcast was a blessing to you. Um, Sometimes I don't like talking about these things. Sometimes I get tired of the battle and I get tired of the fight. And I just want the Lord to come and get us. But you know what? This is the job that we've been called to do. And we're living in a time of great deception. In Matthew chapter 24, turn there for a second. In Matthew chapter 24, Peter, James, and John ask him in verse 3, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming, and of the end of the world? And the very first question that Jesus answers, he says, Take heed that no man deceive you. The last days are a time of universal deception. And we have just lived through three and a half years of unbridled, global, universal deception. And we have been talking about the rising spirit of Antichrist. Uh, We have been talking about the New World Order and the Great Reset and the Fourth Industrial Revolution and all these different things. And we are watching them come to pass. And sometimes it's exciting. Sometimes it's exhausting. And if you're born again and you love the Lord and you love his book, you just want the Lord to come and get you and be as quick as possible. But listen, while we wait, while we wait, we work. Because this is what soldiers are called to do. The Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Timothy, he says, Um, Thou therefore, verse 3, 2 Timothy 2, 3, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And if you're saved today, uh, we are not called to, to hide out in the wilderness of Maine, to go to a mountaintop retreat. We're not called to go into a bunker or go into a cave or live in a submarine at the bottom of the ocean? No. We are called to the front lines of the end times, and that's where we work. So resolve within yourself that as long as it takes until the Lord comes and gets us as he promised to do, and he will, I promise you that will happen at some point. While we wait, we work. And as we said yesterday on our Sunday service, um, one of the greatest things that you can do is you can put the preserved Word of God, the King James Bible, into the hands of as many people as possible who need it. I invite you to come and help us with our Bibles Behind Bars program, our free Bible program. Help us to get out 
thousands and thousands more King James Bibles into jails, prisons, and detention centers all across America. There's nothing more important than you can do to put God's word into somebody's hands. Go to BiblesBehindBars.com and help us to do that. Make a generous donation today. That's the only way that we can do these things. But God is, is using every single one of us to a very, very high degree. And we have, since 2021, we have handed out over 135,000 King James Bibles, New Testaments, gospel tracts, um, over 100,000 gospel tracts we've handed out, uh, scripture portions, and um, God is just, he's letting us get done as much as we want to get done. So if you want to help us to do something that will make it through the judgment seat of Christ for you, Go to BiblesBehindBars.com and help us to reach every single jail and prison in America with King James Bibles. Thank you so much for being part of this NTEB broadcast and for being part of our global family across America and around the world. Lord willing, we'll see you back here Wednesday, 7 p.m. for part two on our exciting new King James Bible study series on spiritual warfare. Have a great week, everybody. Jesus told his disciples of things to come. He would be persecuted, beaten and mauled. The Son of Man would die on the cross, but he wouldn't stay dead, and he won't stay gone. He didn't stay dead, he didn't stay dead, and he won't stay gone, and he won't stay gone. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming to take us home, to take us home. By His blood He has bought me, His blood has bought me, and His word He has taught me, His word has taught me. He didn't stay dead, He didn't stay dead, and He won't stay gone, and He won't stay gone. Do you believe that tonight? He's coming back. In the Bible we're told He surely shall come Like the thief in the night With the trump of God The King of all kings Who paid the cost Didn't stay dead is coming, Jesus is coming to take us home, to take us home. By His blood He has bought me, His blood has bought me, and His word He has taught me, His word has taught me. He didn't stay dead, He didn't stay dead.
His blood he has bought me, his blood has bought me, and his word he has taught me, his word he has taught me, he didn't stay dead, he didn't stay dead, and he won't stay gone, and he won't stay gone, he didn't stay dead, he didn't stay dead, and he won't stay gone, won't stay. 